Let's welcome Pastor Mark up. Yeah, she, uh, she told me that she threw me under the bus last Sunday. And as far as she was concerned, that was just a tiny, tiny revenge for all the times I've thrown her under the bus. So I don't have the courage. I haven't had the courage to watch her sermon. I, I don't think my self-worth can survive one, one, more, one more failure in my life. Hey, I got a treat for you. Before... I start teaching, we're going to see a short uh, trailer for a TV series that uh, I was script consultant to last year. We went up into the Pacific Northwest for six weeks and filmed it, and uh, it turned out to be really good. <laughs> I, I know that's kind of shouldn't say that, but I had my doubts, and then I watched the thing, and it was really, really good. So what's going to happen is we're doing the premiere at Trinity Church on August the 11th, which is a Friday night at 6 o'clock. One of the actors is coming down from Los Angeles, and we're going to have an optional panel discussion afterwards. But we're going to show... It's a TV series, but we're going to show the whole thing. It'll be about the length of a, of a movie, of a typical movie. So I wanted to give you an introduction to that so you can see it and decide if you want to come. So let's roll the trailer. Roll the trailer. Doesn't that my family went camping in the Pacific Northwest last summer. We had no idea what was in store. My name is Joshua Clay. You can call me Josh. Last summer, I started seeing things. Things that weren't there. One of those things was a girl. Someone who I found out to actually be real and in real danger. There was a creepy guy connected to some really dark stuff around the area. Missing women, summoning evil spirits, and maybe even something bigger. But don't freak out. Here it is. I promise you, everything that you're going to see and hear is real. It truly happened. It happened to me, and my family, and my new friends. It's dark. But believe me, life will come. So what do you think? Are you up for that adventure? The reason the film was made was because of the growing obsession our culture has with the supernatural, particularly the dark side. And um, we wanted to make a film which would reveal the dark side for what it is, but give hope. And uh, it's, it's really, really good. And it's, the second season has now been funded. So we'll start shooting the second one in September uh, in the same area. So if you want to come, it's free. You get to see a really cool movie and maybe talk to the actor and, and uh, the producer and a few other people. So that's that, all right? Popcorn and hors d'oeuvres. Is there popcorn and hors Really? They're serving? I'm going to be there. I didn't realize it was popcorn and hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> Say what? 
I've seen it three times now, but I'm going to see it again. I'm telling you, being there for the filming was really a cool experience. Do you know how a movie is shot? You stand around for hours, and absolutely nothing happens. And then it happens, and you think, good, we can go on to the next thing, then it has to happen four more times. <laughs> it's no wonder it costs so much to make a movie. Anyway, um, Life of Jesus series. This is the next one, and it is Jesus' first public statement. What is Jesus' first public statement? Take a guess. How did he announce his ministry? How did he announce what he was here for? It's a short, it's one sentence. This is an, oh, oh, don't, don't play the next thing. I don't want to give this away. We're going to find out here if there's any, we're going to find out if there's any Christians in this room. You know, people that have read their Bibles. What was the message that he came? What did he say? What did he come to say? First public words. Come on. No, it's not my time. Rick says, it's not my time, Mom. <laughs> That's another story. Gosh, you guys, you're breaking my heart. I hate to tell you, but you're all going to hell. <laughs> Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Two, two things. Repent, and the kingdom of God is near. That's how he inaugurates his ministry. That's his opening line. Is it important? Yes. yes. It's the first thing he has to say. It's the beginning of his ministry. What does he mean? Well, he's talking about two things, obviously. He's talking about repentance, and he's talking about the kingdom of God and the fact that it's near. When we think of him announcing the kingdom of God, what is he telling these people? How should they take this? The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is coming. What, do you, what were they thinking? What could they think? What was he offering? Relief? Hmm? A chance. Like a second chance? What had they been living in prior to his coming? They'd been living under the law. They'd been living under a religion. And it wasn't working. They were oppressed people. Not just by the Romans. They were oppressed by their religion. It was killing them. Jesus said, you tie up, you tie up heavy burdens, you put them on people, and you do nothing. You won't, lift your, you won't lift your hand to take the pressure off. And now he's coming to announce something radically different. This is a new kind of life. This is a new kind of experience that he's offering. The kingdom of God. This is a new way of life. This is a whole new way of living. This isn't a small change. I've said this to you before. Jesus didn't come to give us a more refined religion. He came to destroy it and replace it with a relationship. And when we come into this relationship, we don't just come into a new way of relating to God. We're in a new world. It's a whole new paradigm. It's a, it's a new way of living. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new experience. It's radically different from what they had before, and that's what makes it good.
It was good news because it was new. But it's good news because it's good. It's not what they've been living under. And in this new kingdom, in this new world experience, this, this whole new way of living, they get to know God. The hope of the Jewish people was summed up by the prophet when he said, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. You know what that means. Emmanuel is God with us. They had been longing and craving for an actual encounter, an, uh, the experience of having God with them, just like, just like Israel had in the desert where he manifested his presence. Only it's better than that because it's not just a few things like a, a cloud and a, a tower of fire or whatever. It's his actual presence. It's the, the king is coming. The king is coming, and when the king comes, his kingdom comes with him. And who's the king? Jesus. So now a relationship with God is possible. Now it's a spiritual kingdom first. It's not a geographical kingdom. It's not a political kingdom. It's not an economic kingdom. It's first and foremost a spiritual kingdom. So when we say that, if it's a spiritual kingdom, how do you enter it? You can't cross a border. You don't just step into another country like it's another kingdom. How do you enter this spiritual kingdom? Because it's a spiritual kingdom. How do you get in? Okay. Through the door, and the door is Jesus. But Jesus is saying something in his inaugural message. Blank for the kingdom of God is coming. Repent. Repent. The entry into this new world of God comes through an act of repentance. So it's really important that we understand what he means by repentance. And it's really important that we understand what we're repenting from. Right? So let's break down this whole concept of repentance. What is repentance? What do you usually think of when you think of repentance? I need to repent or I'm going to repent of something. What, what concept comes to your mind? How does this repentance begin? Sackcloth and ashes. You, you begin to feel bad about something. You begin to feel bad about something. You feel sorry for doing something bad. And then, of course, the solution to feeling sad about doing something bad is that you have to go and you have to ask forgiveness. Are you with me? So usually we think of forgiveness as feeling bad about something that we did wrong, and then doing something about it to make it right. You with me so far? And the Bible seems to suggest that that's the case. 2 Corinthians 7.10, look at this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Now, what I just said about repentance being feeling bad about something and then saying you're sorry and doing something about it, this verse seems to suggest that that's pretty much what repentance is. You with me so far? But I want you to notice that in this verse, he's contrasting two things. He's contrasting godly sorrow, 
with worldly sorrow. Hello? So there's two kinds of sorrows here for, for, for sin. A godly sorrow and a worldly sorrow. And godly sorrow does one thing. It brings repentance. Godly sorrow brings repentance. You with me? Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings repentance. Worldly sorrow brings death. So it would be really smart to figure out the difference. Because one of them is going to bring life to us and the other is going to bring death. You with me? Okay, so. What's godly sorrow? Let there's a hint, it's godly, which means he's the source of this sorrow. Interesting, interesting. God's the source of the sorrow that leads to repentance. It's an act of God that brings about this kind of sorrow that leads to repentance. Now, worldly sorrow is different. It's not God's work when you feel worldly sorrow. I wonder whose work it would be if it's not God's. The enemy or your own. You, you could, your conscience could be bothering you and it not be God. And that kind of sorrow brings nothing at all except death. It doesn't lead to repentance. The word used here by Jesus in the Greek means to think differently. So repentance is fundamentally thinking differently about something that you've done. Or maybe it's not even thinking differently about something you've done. Maybe it's thinking differently about God. Maybe it's thinking differently about yourself. Maybe it's thinking differently about you. What makes you tick? When Jesus is talking about repentance, he's talking about thinking and acting differently because of something that you know which is new. There's a realization of something that is new. So what could be changing in our minds at the heart of repentance that brings godly repentance that leads to salvation? I think of it this way. Most of the time when we repent, it's like this. I've done a bad thing. I feel sorrow for, sorrow for what I have done. I will try not to do it next time. Sound about right? That's kind of how we repent most of the time. This is a form of repentance where we have seen an action of ours as wrong. We now think differently, we admit it's wrong, and decide to change the action in the future. But this kind of repentance doesn't get us into God's world because this isn't the kind of repentance that he's talking about. That's not a godly repentance that leads to salvation. That's me deciding I did something wrong and I need to fix it, and if I fix it, I'll be okay. Are you with me? Do you understand the distinction here? 
And what, what, what is at issue here, the difference between godly sorrow leading to repentance and worldly sorrow leading to death and this kind of repentance that I do and I feel bad about an action and I say I need to fix it and go ask for forgiveness and I'll do better next time and I'll do more and I'll try harder. The problem with this is that we haven't fully understood what we are repenting from. We have not yet defined what is sin. And in the first, I've done something wrong, I'll fix it. And I'm sorry about this. In the first definition of repentance and the first definition of sin, sin is the bad things that I do. I've done a bad thing. Now I need to fix it. Are you with me? That is a shallow misunderstanding of sin. I've said this to you before, and I, I know it might get a little annoying, but we need to understand what sin really is. Sin is not the bad things that you do. The bad things that you do are the result of sin. They are the effects of sin. They are the manifestation of sin in a physical reality. But there's something much deeper than what we do. And the thing that's deeper than what we do is who we are. And to enter the world of God, we're not in the behavior modification business. We're in the transformation business. To enter into God's world, you have to be transformed by God to, to, to exist in His world. It's a spiritual transformation. It's not just dealing with your behavior. It's dealing with you at the core of your being, the deepest part of yourself. That has to change. That has to be transformed. This change has to do with a deep decision of heart, which is sin which is to keep him out of our lives and live independently from him. Sin is an attitude of independence from God. And when you live independently from God, you end up making decisions which are not for God. And it is that fundamental attitude of self-will, my life, my way, God's not a part of that. That is the root of sin. Sin is not what I do. Sin is who I am. When Jesus died on the cross, Paul says that he became our sin. He became our sin. He didn't become all the things that we did wrong. He became our sin. He took upon himself our independent, self-willed, self-focused identity and he died for it so we could be set free of that so we didn't have to be enslaved to our own selfish motivations to make our own stupid choices, which we call sins. Are you with me? I mean, it's a frightening thing to actually say it, but my sin is not what I do wrong. My sin is who I am. I am my worst enemy. I am my problem. Because I am self-willed and independent and wherever possible I want to run my life my way. 
And when I get in trouble, I will call him up and say, you need to fix the mess. And as soon as he fixes the mess, I'm good for a couple of weeks, and then I go back to running my life my way, and I crash again. And then I go and kiss up to him, get a little passionate in worship, act like a Christian at church, get things back in a good standing, and then later I just go right back to my life my way. This is a fundamental problem in my identity. This is part of who I actually am. And as long as I keep focusing on sin as the bad things I do, we will never win. When you view sin that way, you're in the behavior modification business. When you see sin as who I am, you're in the transformation business. And God is in the transformation business. God is not into behavior modification. He's into transforming us at the core of our being so we don't have to live as slaves to ourselves and our own will, my way, and our own stinking self-focus. I knew this guy, um, one of the greatest... He was Carl F. Henry's favorite student at Fuller Seminary. He was absolutely brilliant. And one day in conversation, I asked him and I said, I didn't know because I couldn't understand. I didn't understand holiness. Like I said, what's holiness? And this is what he said. I rocked my world. Oh, he said, oh, holiness? He said, holiness for me is not thinking about myself for about five minutes. Do you understand what I'm saying? We live lives of such immense self-focus that most of the time we're thinking about ourselves, my life, my way, and we're not really thinking about God. And his definition of holiness was transcending that to where even for a little few minutes, I'm not focused on me. And if that doesn't convict you, I don't know what will because it sure as heck convicted me because I spend most of my time thinking about me. And God gets in there once in a while. But most of the time, it's all about me. And a life of all about me turns into a life of bad deeds and mistakes. It's, it's, it's not, I've done some bad things, I'm sorry. It's, I am a rebellious, self-willed being, and I am sorry. It's changing your mind, thinking differently about your very nature. It's seeing yourself as completely different from God, who is always good and I'm not, and seeing that you are fundamentally flawed and predisposed to being rebellious and independent from your King and Creator. It's Repentance is thinking differently about yourself in relation to God. Repentance is really coming to understand that the problem is not my actions, it's my very nature. Okay, that's really horrible news. No, I, I, I regret... I looked at this sermon yesterday and I thought oh no really 
people need to be whipped one more time, you know, like I need to feel rotten about myself. It's pretty depressing. But until you repent for what you are at your core, you will not have the power of God to transform your actions. Let's repeat that. Until you repent for what you are at your core, you will not have the power of God to transform your actions. And if you do succeed, listen, if you do succeed in transforming some of your actions, who gets the credit for the transformation? You. And now you have reached the high water mark of biblical perfection. You are now a Pharisee. Well, that's, that's who they were. Now, here's the point. This is, this is godly sorrow that leads to salvation. This is godly. This is how it works when God's in charge. To see yourself as you truly are is a work only God can do. Seeing yourself as you truly are is not something yourself is willing to do. Your pride is not willing to take the long, deep look inside. Your pride, your self, will do everything possible not to have that experience. Because when that experience happens, your pride gets beat up something fierce and your self takes a whooping. And the self is not going to cooperate in that process. It's asking too much. Godly sorrow is a revelation that God brings in the center of your being that you really are rebellious and you really are self-willed. And you get to see in vivid living color the effects of your sin that's overwhelming and it breaks you and it tears you up inside. And you say, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips living amongst a people of unclean lips. I am a sinner. And the Apostle Paul had this experience and he was able to say, in all honesty, I'm the worst of all sinners. I'm the absolute worst. But he's also the guy who introduced us to grace. This guy who killed Christians for a living separated children from their parents and children watched their parents die at his hands with his approval. And God revealed to him on the road that it's Jesus he had been persecuting. What a wake-up call that is. So he could honestly say, no, you don't understand. I'm the worst of them all. I'm I'm not worthy. But he's also the guy that got a grip on what it is to be forgiven. What it is to be loved and accepted by God in the middle of your brokenness. And he gave us our understanding of grace. It's the only thing. It, grace is the only way you can survive godly sorrow. Without grace, <laughs> you just wish you were dead, that's all.
you're done. To see yourself as you truly are is a work only God can do. And as painful as it is, it's the best thing that will ever happen to you. Because it sets you free of yourself. But in all of his works, in us and through us, there is our part and his part. You can't manufacture godly sorrow. That's worldly sorrow, if you manufacture it. Feeling bad about some things that you did rather than feeling bad about who you actually are. Godly sorrow is a gift. Godly sorrow is a gift. When it happens to you, it's, an, it's a nasty experience because it's painful to see things as they really are. But it sets you free. And it allows God to come in and transform your heart from the inside out. It's a most purifying thing to be shown yourself as you truly are. At the same time, it's a horrible experience, but it's also the most wonderful thing that can happen. It's hard on our pride to have all the layers of our self-deception and excuses ripped off and to see our hearts as they truly are. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Oh, well, that's just another prophet exaggerating. No, that's not exaggeration. The heart is deceitful above all things and it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? You know, this was written in the Old Testament under the law. Okay? That's hopeless. That statement right there is hopeless. It's beyond cure. But along comes Jesus. And along comes unmerited forgiveness and grace. And now, it's not beyond cure. Godly sorrow brings repentance and sets you free. See, we, hallelujah, hallelujah is right. Thank you, Jesus. You are our only hope. And when you set, what, the, the, those that he has set free are free indeed. And it's for freedom that you were set free. It isn't from freedom from the bad things we do. It's freedom from our own sinful nature. And that's the best freedom you can possibly have because when he comes and sets you free, in your own nature, you find yourself choosing good things, not bad things. Because your nature has changed. And when you find out you've been forgiven for all those horrible things you finally realized were true about yourself, and you've been forgiven of them, there is a new sense of the depth of the love of God who has forgiven even one as sinful as you. And then grace becomes the most precious of gifts that you have. Because there is the transforming power to set you free from your own human nature.
So what are we supposed to do about this? You can't manufacture godly repentance because it's godly. The worldly repentance doesn't work. It just brings death. Where are we left? What's our solution? What, what, what's, what can we do about knowing if this is all true, and I think it is, what can we do about this? What should our response be? What should we ask God for? Well, it would be a courageous thing to ask, but how about asking him, please show me my rebellious nature. Please show me the depth of my sin. And Father, I know I can't do it, and I know I can't manufacture it, and if I tried to manufacture it, it would end up in worldly sorrow, which would lead to death, despair, and hopelessness. So I'll have to trust you to show me who I really am but I want you to. I'm, re I'm ready for that. Maybe I'm not ready for that, but I think I want it. So please show me what's going on at the depth of my being. Show me where my self-will lives. Show me my need of your forgiveness in a way that makes your forgiveness so wonderful it's all I really want and it's all I really need. Show me my sin nature and I'll own it when you reveal it to me. And I'll call out for freedom and deliverance from it. And here's a practical way to put this into practice. Practical way to put this into practice. Adam and Eve in the garden. They were in perfect relationship with God. They were naked and unashamed before God. They had no shame. They're in a state of innocence. And then they get talked into self. You can be like God, self. He's holding, withholding this from you. He's denying you something, self. And they, they take the bait. And instantly, instantly, their innocence is lost and they begin covering themselves and they run and hide. You with me? That's the human response to the awareness of our sin. Run and hide, cover up. Right? That's our human nature. Protect ourself. Protect our self. Protect my pride. So they run and they hide. And what's, what's God's response? What did he do? They're hiding. And what does he say? Where are you? Where are you? He starts calling, where are you? He knows where they are. Like, like God's left his car keys somewhere and can't remember where they are. Where are you? Why is he doing that? What's he want? 
I mean, he could say, I know you're hiding behind the bush. Get over here. Right now, face the music. I'm upset. You've screwed up everything I wanted to do. Now I'm going to punish you. But instead he's calling. Where are you? What's he, what's he trying to accomplish here? He wants them to come to him. See, the human solution to the awareness of our sin is to cover it up and run and hide. The godly response to our sin is, bring it to me. Bring it to me, and I will fix it. And we'll get right again. We'll be back together. We'll restore the relationship. That's his response. The human response to sin is the self-response, covered up and hide. We've been doing that for thousands of years. His response is, bring it to me. He's been doing that for a long time. The opportunity is available to us to run towards him with our brokenness and our sin and our rebellion and have him heal it and fix it and transform our hearts so we don't have to live with it like that. So how about making this a practical application? Every single time you do something wrong, run towards him with it and ask him to forgive you and lift that shame off of you. And every time you hurt somebody, go to them and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And begin to live a life of humility where we deal honestly with our sin, not trying to hide it and keep it away from him. Does this make sense? The human answer to sin started in the garden. It is to run and hide our sin from him and from ourselves. When we bring our sin to him in repentance, in repentance, he can heal it with his love. This love becomes the power to change. This is what it means to enter into his kingdom. Let's do it. Yeah, for it. Let's just apply this right now. Close your eyes if you want. Father, I can't. I can't create godly sorrow. I don't think it's healthy to even try. But Lord, you can give me the gift of godly sorrow to show me my need of you, to show me my own self-will. You can grant me the gift of repentance. If you're open to that, Invite him to do it. He doesn't have to do it all at once in one horrible, overwhelming encounter. He can just begin to do it a little bit at a time. But if you'll invite him to do that and give you godly sorrow where he wants to in the way that he wants to, we should never try to manufacture this. It's, it's dangerous to do that. You can say, Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, just show me where that self will 
is, where it's strongest. Show it to me, Lord. And then I invite you to deal with it. And I invite you to set me free from it. Transform my heart so I don't have to live that way. Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? What do you want to say to us? What do you want to say to me about this? Father, we welcome your grace. We welcome your forgiveness. We need it. We welcome your forgiveness, Lord. Come and make your grace real in my heart and in my mind and in my will. Come and cleanse me from myself focus. Holy Spirit, make real the love of the Father. Make real the love of Jesus on the cross. Make it real to us, Lord. some people here who the same sin keeps memory of a particular sin keeps running through your mind you haven't been free of it you see keep reliving the same thing even from the distance distant past even remembering something you can't seem to get forgiveness for this keeps bothering you this is the work of the enemy. Continually remind you of your failure to keep you from receiving grace. He's trying to create worldly sorrow. Trying to keep you from the realization of God's love and forgiveness. Right now, let's take authority over that memory. That memory the devil has had access to and he's been using it against you for a long time. Now, in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we take authority over that memory, and we break its power over us. 
take authority over it, say no more. And apply the grace and forgiveness of God to that memory. The Lord says, you've been seeing yourself through the lens of your past. You don't have to do that anymore. With me, you don't have a past, you have a future. The Lord says, you don't have a past, you have a future. I'm not looking at your past, I'm looking at your future. The Lord's saying to some of you, You keep seeing yourself through the lens of your failure. The Father says, I don't see you that way. See, I see who you're becoming. I see who you're going to be. I see the finished product when I look at you. I'm not, I'm not dwelling on your failures. I see who you're going to be. self-focus to me and I'll heal it. And I'll forgive you. And every time it rises up, bring it to me. Make me the solution to all of that. Just bring it to me. And I'll set you free.
forgiveness get that shame broken off and step into your breakthrough then I just encourage you come on down to the front here we want to pray with you as we continue to worship online community thank you so much for joining us in worship and the word today I encourage you to to have that continued attitude of repentance the, the word says to bear fruit by keeping with repentance so have a blessed week. Thanks for watching online. And if you don't need prayer, but you want to continue to worship, you're welcome to stay. If you don't need prayer and you have to go, God bless you. We love you. We hope to see you next week.